Welcome to I Got Back Up, Getting Back Up With. I'm Talia Lazarus, your host, and in August 2021, my whole life changed. I was in a road accident, which led me to 10 weeks of no walking, knee surgery that September, and double knee surgery in February 2022. After learning how to walk again in my 20s, my journey took me on a physical, emotional, and mental roller coaster, and I was broken and lost in every way. But then I learned I had the ability to change my own life and write my own story. So think of a taboo subject that's not always spoken about. Here we confront it and run towards it head on. Rock bottom becomes a safe and comfortable place. Rising from the ashes, taking control of your life and showing up to your fears takes something extraordinary. The hardest step is the first one, but once you take it, you're already one step ahead of yesterday and one step closer to everything you have ever dreamt of. June the 12th, 2019, we were traveling to Joshua Tree and we were struck by a drunken high driver going 90 miles an hour and Ruby and Hart were killed in the back seat, explains Colin Campbell. After the sudden loss of both his teenage children, Colin and his wife's lives were destroyed. Finding the words, working through profound loss with hope and purpose, written by Colin, is a powerful account of his journey through the darkness of grief. No one teaches us how to deal with grief. So how did Colin learn to lean into the pain? How did he understand to stay engaged in life when not wanting to be alive anymore? How has his relationship with his wife changed by sharing this terrible bond? Welcome to Colin. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. So where are you in the world? So I'm in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I'm in the Silver Lake area of Los Angeles. So it's a little bit east of Hollywood, I guess, and a little bit west of downtown. Nice, very nice, very nice. It's a it's a lovely area over there. So, uh, yeah, yeah m- mildly jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but sure. <laughs> so obviously, today, you know, we're going to talk all about your story and what happened. But I mm. think it's really nice to kind of go back towards somewhere in the past, wherever you think resonates, what you think kind of, you know, is important to your story and kind of what has helped you and shaped you into who you are today. So it is over to you and kind of wherever you'd like to start, then you can. Okay. Yeah. I think I would start uh, when I met my wife, I think is Mm -hmm. sort of a nice little moment. So we were, we're both theater kids. So we were Mm -hmm. in graduate school for theater directing in New York City. And that's where we met. We're in the same program, fell in love. Um, and then we moved out to Los Angeles and I, I kept directing theater uh, and she started writing for television and then she became a television writer and a television director and then a nice. film director. And I started directing some indie film, but we're also still theater kids at heart. <clears throat> and, uh, and then we had two beautiful children, uh, Ruby and Hart, and they were three years and one day apart. So, so Ruby was actually three years and one day older than Hart. And, um, and, uh, and we were an amazingly happy family. Um, we loved spending time together, which I know is kind of rare once they hit the teen age, but, um, but it was true. We, we really did love spending time together. We had our struggles and, and for sure, uh, challenges, but, but fundamentally we had a great time together. We would go off and, we play cards a lot, the four of us. We love this card game called Michigan Rummy. And we played that while we were waiting for our food at restaurants. Um, so we always had packs of cards and we'd keep score. And, and they'd all root for me to lose. I was like the bad guy <laughs> in the family. <laughs> I was the villain. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and we loved going on adventures. We loved um, 
scrambling up rocks and traveling together and swimming in the ocean. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it sounds lovely. Um, and it's it's really nice for you to kind of obviously look back on that. And I, I, I quite like when you said about the playing cards at the table and the, there's someone always there's always someone that's a villain, isn't there? There's always somebody <laughs> that you want to lose when you're playing a card game and you will gang <laughs> up on that person. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Ruby would keep score often. And so when, when I got a bad score, she'd make a little smiley face on my score. <laughs> or if I was doing really well, she'd put a little frowny face inside my score. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. I like that. I like that. It's funny because I feel like a lot of a lot of people do that. So it's nice when you hear other people do things like that as well. Um, yeah. And then obviously, you know, where has everything kind of taken you from, you know, from that? Yeah. So so uh, on June 12th, 2019, we were traveling to Joshua Tree. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. a sweet little town about two and a half hours east of Los Angeles. It's in the high desert. So it's, it gets very hot, but it's in the high desert, not the low desert. It's a little different, the Mojave. And um, and we love scrambling on those rocks. So so Joshua Tree National Park is this enormous park. It's the size of Rhode Island, for you American people who know how big Rhode Island is. But um, it's an enormous park, and um, and it has all these amazing rock formations that are so fun to climb up, and you can get amazing vistas. And uh, we were on our way there. And we were struck by a drunk and high driver uh, going 90 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone. And Ruby and Hart were killed in the back seat. So Ruby was 17 and Hart was 14. And, and for my wife and I, Gail and I, our lives were destroyed um, uh, quite, quite simply. And we were lost. We were lost. Um, and in such such immense emotional pain that it, it's just hard to uh it's hard to fathom um and and before the crash i had no i had no idea the depths of pain one might feel um emotional pain uh and so since then it's now close to four years coming up a four, fourth year anniversary of the crash that's a hard word to use anniversary but um uh and so gail and i are are, are trying to find our way back to life while we're still grieving. Yeah, no, of course, of course. And how did you, I mean, how did you, I mean, I, it's kind of an obvious question, but how did you find everything as soon as, unfortunately, your kids were killed? Um, find, what do you mean by find it, like, just life? Like, how, how, yeah, how, how was, I mean, I, like I said, I know it's a very obvious question, but, you know, how 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 did life happen? You know what happened after your kids yeah. were killed? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of shock and denial. There's a lot of it's it's very hard to accept that it's real. Even now, there's a part of me that just finds it really hard to believe that they're gone. Um, it doesn't it doesn't make sense still to my brain. Um, but a lot of that journey is is coming to grips with literally reality, coming to accept reality, which is a strange but hard journey but um uh i didn't really know how to grieve i didn't really have any cultural background in my family we didn't have any kind of rituals or, <clears throat> or really a history of grieving um and so i really didn't know what how, how to navigate these waters at all mm -hmm. and i really leaned on the jewish traditions so my wife is jewish uh, and we raised ruby and heart as jews they were bar and bat mitzvahed and 
we were active members of our temple, which is called Ikar. That's the name of our temple in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and it's an amazing temple. It's, it's, uh, it's very oriented towards uh, social activism. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's an amazing, beautiful community of people who really came came together to help us in this moment. Um, uh, and uh, and the, the Jewish traditions of grieving really taught me, in a way, practical steps. I'm not religious; I don't believe in God, so I'm in just for the community and um, and the rituals and the wisdom and so i really learned like oh this is how one grieves one grieves in community first of all and one and one engages with grief so the jewish tradition asks you to again and again engage in your grief um you're not allowed to sort of compartmentalize it and move on you've got to really grieve you have to say the mourner's prayer every day for the first year and then on every holiday and there's a lot of um there's a lot of ritualized grieving, which just taught me a lot of valuable lessons about how to handle it. I think it's a really interesting point that you make because I think no, I mean, you're not taught ever, not in school, not ever really how to, how to grieve. And mm. even if, you know, you do follow cultural, religious, whatever, you know, whatever background or beliefs that you do have, I still think that everyone grieves so differently. And mm. You know, you can say one thing to somebody, but they might grieve very differently to somebody else. And it's 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 scary and, and unfortunately sad because, like I said, you're not taught how to grieve. And then, mm. unfortunately, one day you're just having to do it. Um, yeah. You're thrown in the deep end. Yeah, we'll all we'll all lose. If, we're, if we love people, we'll, we'll lose them, ultimately. Yeah. And we'll, we'll all grieve over that loss. Uh, and there's a certain amount of pain that comes with it, healthy pain of loss. And it's it's unavoidable. Or you, you can try and avoid it, but it, it doesn't go well. So, um, yeah. But yeah, to your point about not being taught how to grieve, I found now when I watch films and television, so often the characters are shown avoiding their grief. They're yeah. not actually grieving many times. They just avoid it. Um, and so it's very rare that, that you'll encounter in a movie or a television show somebody actively grieving as opposed to just bottling it up. Um, or yeah. drinking. There's a lot of a lot of people getting very drunk. That's how they show grief. The, that's the the shorthand for a grieving person. They're drinking. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, that's actually avoiding their grief. Yeah, you're right. Actually, you are. And I've seen a couple of things recently, and I have thought when I'm watching it that there's a lot of alcohol, especially in certain scenes. And you're mm. right. It's when you do things like that, you are. You're not facing it. You are avoiding you're it. Numbing. And unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. You're numbing the pain and things like this. I mean, every, like I said, everyone deals with things very differently, but facing it is the hardest route to do. But mm. it, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the hardest thing to do, but it can almost sometimes be liberating in a way. Yes, I, I think it um, is, actually. You know, I, I have a, a somewhat, I don't know if it's controversial, radical belief about grieving which is I actually believe that we all avoid our grief in our own individual ways, but the actual process of grieving is, I think it's the same for everybody. Uh, I think when you get down to actively grieving, what are we doing? We're thinking about, talking about, sharing memories of our loved ones and our own pain with other people or with ourselves, with the world, some kind of expression of it. Um, yeah. It's essentially the same. And then, and then we can all, some of us drink ourselves to numb ourselves or some of us 
try and avoid or distract or we all do those things um, in our own unique ways. But I think the actual process of grieving is, is really the same. Yeah, no, of course, it makes sense. And then obviously, so you're, you're an author, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I wrote a book. That- Look, yeah. I have a book here. <laughs> I will show it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so obviously the book Finding the Words, and that's, I mean, that's based on everything that happened, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So uh, I started writing it pretty early in my grief. Um, it had been less than a year when I when I started writing the book. And um, I think one of the strengths of the book is that a lot of grief books that I, that I was reading at the time felt kind of removed from the actual active struggle of grieving. They, they, they lost somebody 10 years ago, and now they're, they're sharing their wisdom from, from a, a remove, which was helpful, very helpful. But I also felt like they weren't, some of these books weren't really honoring just how challenging it is to just live. And, and what are we doing? Yeah. What are we actually doing to stay sane and stay present in this world? Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, so yes, I wanted to express some of that. And then also I, I feel like, um, again, from the Jewish traditions, I, I learned a lot about how to grieve in community and, and specific tools for keeping my community close to me as I grieved. Mm-hmm. And you can find all of that in the book, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. Is there any way or chance that you want to share maybe one tool or one little thing of from course. the book? Of course, yeah. <laughs> but one, one of the... Um, one of the sort of early tools I that I developed with my wife Gail was this idea that we called a grief spiel. So, okay. <laughs> a lot of people we found were coming to our home to visit us, and they were terrified mm-hmm. to say anything. They were scared to even mention Ruby and Hart's names because they were worried, you know, it might upset us. Right? They weren't even. They were scared to even say like, "Hi, how are you?" Because maybe that would be triggering. You know, maybe I'd be like, yeah. "How am I? How do you think I am? <laughs> I'm in terrible pain. How dare you?" So they wouldn't even ask anything. They'd come in and they'd just be like, <laughs> and terrified. And I realized that I, I needed to talk about Ruby and Hart and I needed to talk about my grief in that moment. Like, how was I doing in that hour, you know? Um, and so I realized I needed to put these people at ease in some way. I needed to tell them the the ground rules, right? We, we needed to talk about Ruby and Hart. I needed them to say Ruby and Hart's names. I needed to ask have them ask me about my grief. And so so we developed this grief spiel. We'd pull people aside one at a time and just tell them what our needs were. And, and they were so grateful. Because, of course, the people in our community that, that love us want to help us. Yeah. They just don't know how. And it seems unfair that we have to, you know, educate people about grief. But um, because we're already in so much pain, we don't have the bandwidth. But actually, that's just the reality. We have our own specific needs. They are individual. Yeah. Everybody does have their own needs in grief. I, I believe that <clears throat> for sure. And so it's up to us to, to share those needs with mm-hmm. our with our loved ones so they can help us. Uh, and it really it really helped them to help us. Yeah, I think that, you know what, and I really like that. And it's really interesting because talking out loud or in, in any way, people, you're right, people are so scared, whatever you're going through, people are so scared, even to ask how you are, because they're so worried that they know the answer is going to be, or, or <laughs> you know, you know that they're not in a great place, but they're almost so scared to ask, because they're so scared to trigger you, but yeah. sometimes the ironic thing is people want you to ask, because they just want that hand to hold, or they want that 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 shoulder to cry on, or that person to listen to, and yeah. 
I think it's it's important that people shouldn't be scared to ask someone how they are, even if they know they're not in a good place. That how are you question, I think, means so much more to people than people actually mm. realize. Because um, yeah. it shows that people are considerate and, and respectful and genuinely want to know. Yeah. And I, and I found that if people ask me, like, how are you today or how are you doing right now? Yeah. Was almost more helpful than just a you know a general yeah. how are you doing, because it got I, it allowed me to get more specific. Like how am I doing yeah. right now? Well, you know, <laughs> right now I'm I'm okay. But actually, half an hour ago I was weeping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> but that helps. That helps. Um, yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. Because I believe that it's so hard to process these big life events uh, and really understand them. And and one of the tools we have as humans is. We get to talk about them. We, if we articulate what's happening to us, it allows us to literally process them and understand them. Like, what are, how am I doing? You know, thanks for asking. I, how am I? Let me think about that for a second. You know, it allows you to think, well, I, you know, I feel ill, but my stomach, but, um, but I did wake up this morning and I, and I am thinking positive thoughts and whatever it is, but yeah. 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 I think, and that's again, what's really interesting is that. I mean, I know when, you know, whenever I'm going through it, it, just anything, when you speak out loud, when it's all Mm. in your head, you can't make sense of it. But as soon as you speak out loud uh, to whoever it is, a friend, family, whoever it is, you you almost start to resolve things without even the other person saying anything back to you. Right. You start to figure things out just by speaking. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's, it's genius. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like the, the whole, like, the cliche of the the therapist who just asks you questions. <laughs> they don't tell you anything. They just get you to talk and you figure yeah. it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and how do yeah, you feel? Right. <laughs> and how does that make you feel? <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> but um, but yeah, but it's very true, I think. And it also makes things scary, less scary, sorry. So, you know, if, if, if we're holding secrets or shame or fears and we articulate them out into the open, into the light of the day, I think they do, the, the the bad stuff diminishes. The power of the bad stuff diminishes. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree. And do you find that writing this book, because um, when people are going through something, you know, they do express themselves in different ways. And a lot of people do turn to creativity and art, whether it's mm. music, writing, or, you know, painting, things like that. Do you find yeah. that writing this book so early on did almost help you in your grieving oh, journey? Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did a lot of writing. Um, so I, I journaled every day for the first year after the crash. Uh, and I also, I wrote a, a solo show, a one-person show, uh, a theater, piece of theater about nice. about grieving. Uh, it's mm-hmm. called Grief, a One-Man Shit Show. And I just <laughs> I just did it in Los Angeles and New York. I had a, a month-long run in New York, just finished up last a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, And then I started writing the book. And so obviously I have a need to <laughs> to express myself yeah. and process what's happening to me. Uh, and it was very helpful. It was very helpful. It was very painful. You know, I, I wept every day writing the book. Uh, yeah. at, so each chapter I would, I would weep several times and then I'd revise it and weep again. And then I'd get notes from the editor and then weep again. Um, and that was just pro- part of the process of it, you know. So yeah. it wasn't easy, but it did feel good. Yeah, of course, of course. And how, I mean, how are you doing now? I know four years isn't a long time at all. Um, and right. even if it's 40 years, it's, it, <laughs> it doesn't make a difference, but how yeah. are you doing? How are you doing now? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. 
Um, I think uh, it's still a, a process of up and down. There's still moments where I just ache. I ache terribly for Ruby and Hart uh, every day. Uh, just a couple minutes ago, I was driving home, <laughs> and I was there was a song came on, you know, "Sweet Child of Mine" um, by uh, Oh Guns and Roses. There you go. Phew. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm just I was just aching. You know, I was just it wasn't weeping, but I was aching. Um, and then I'm also, uh, staying engaged in life. So, so my wife and I are fostering to adopt two kids, um, a 13 year old boy and a 12 year old girl, they're siblings <clears throat> and they've lived with us now for five months and we're on the road to adoption. Um, we'll see if it works. <laughs> um, uh, it works on our end, but, but the, the kids could change their minds. You never know. But right now they want to be adopted by us. Um, and so I think it's going well. Uh, but it's a lot of active parenting. It's a lot of like, yeah. you know, uh, tough parenting, like taking away their devices, <laughs> getting them to do their <laughs> homework, getting them to go to basketball practice or soccer practice, or, you know, yeah. <clears throat> getting them to go to bed, getting them to wake up this morning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, getting to school. So it's, it's, um, it's challenging to do all this this the hard heavy lifting of parenting yeah. with with kids who you just met five months ago yeah. you know um and it inevitably makes me think about ruby and heart uh oftentimes in a good way you know here i am i'm parenting again i'm doing things that you know i learned by parenting ruby and heart um i think i was a good a good dad to them they love me and i love them and so um so in a way, it's it's conjuring their spirits, and in a way, also it's opening up my heart to more pain because I'm I'm missing Ruby and Hart as I parent other kids. You know, it's inevitable. Yeah, of course, of course. But it's absolutely amazing that you're doing that. Um, yeah. You know, and it's amazing that you know. Hopefully, it does all plan out and it does all go to plan, and and these kids, you know, do move in with you. And I, I, it's it's amazing that with everything you've been through that you, you are doing that. So. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, yeah, we thought pretty early on, it was actually Ruby's idea. Uh, so I credit Ruby. Uh, it was like (laughs) two years before she was killed. She said, we should foster adopt. We're like foster. How do you even know? You're like a 15 year old kid. How do you even know what foster adoption is? But she was, she, she was wise and had researched it. And said there are a lot of kids that, that need families, you know, and our family has a lot of love to, to share, and that was really beautiful. So, um, uh, so after they were killed, we thought, well, we we could be still be parents, you know, even though yeah. um, not to Ruby and Harper, we could be parents to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's why it's it's amazing that you know, you know, these kids they're very lucky. So they're very lucky to have you. You know, hopefully it all goes to plan. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course they're very unlucky because they're in the foster system. <laughs> well, no, of course, of course, in that way. But you know, they're but yes, lucky to yes, have, I appreciate yeah, it. Yes, thank, you. <laughs> thank you, no, thank you, thank you for saying that. Of course. <laughs> and I also want to ask, you know, how because I hear this a lot and I see this a lot that when unfortunately things like this do happen and people do lose, you know, parents, families do lose children, it mm. can, it can it can make a marriage go one of two ways. Um, Mm. And how, if you hope, you know, I hope you don't mind me asking how have things between you and your wife been, because, you know, four years to get later and you are 
still together and you're, you know you are adopting yeah. so how how is how has that all been between the two of you yeah yeah well, we don't get enough date nights that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> um but uh no it's, it's interesting uh thanks for asking that question because it's a it's kind of a um I think a, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the statistics of it all. So yeah. a lot of people think that most marriages fall apart after the death of a child, but actually it's not true. Um, actually, statistically, fewer marriages break up than just the general population. Um, so that's kind of remarkable. Um, <clears throat> but there is a, a cultural conception or cultural misconception that that uh, we're, we're most likely going to divorce. Um, and uh and I know many many couples who've lost children sadly because of grief groups um and I don't know anybody who's gotten a divorce since since the loss of their child um and so um but yes, but of course it does it can very much so strain strain a marriage any crisis can strain a marriage yeah. um and I think what allowed Gail and I to stay closer even become closer is that we we both grieved. Um, we leaned into the grief of it all. We talked about it. We still talk about it every day. Um, I think that's the, the key to to any healthy union is yeah. is talking, being open, being honest, um, not having, you know, secrets and, and also not trying to not grieve. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of couples that I know that are that are struggling that aren't divorced but they're struggling is because one person want doesn't want to engage as much in the grief um <clears throat> they, they say you know it's too painful and like yes it, it is painful it's it hurts to grieve there's no question but it's so much more healthy and, and helpful um uh, if you if you're able to um open yourself up to the pain of loss yeah yeah, that is a that's a really interesting what you've just said is really interesting because you're right you know most people assume or they think that when you know parents go through that that it's going to end up in divorce um and like you said you know you can see why but more people assume that that is the way so to hear that it's actually statistically not is, yeah. I mean, I find that incredibly interesting. And, you know, if there is somebody listening to this now that may be in a similar position to you, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully that gives them a little bit of hope in the sense that, you know, yeah. 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 So so what's interesting is I've I've been told many times, to- not many times, but several times like, oh, by the way, you, you know, you know, you're going to your marriage is going to fall apart. <laughs> right? it's, like, it's like, why is this person telling me this? It's just a strange yeah. impulse. Um but so, so Compassionate Friends is a national organization for bereaved parents, grandparents, and siblings in America. Um, okay. And and they did they conducted these uh, very large studies in uh, I think two thousand six and two thousand nine or two thousand nine two thousand twelve something like that. But um, and those studies found that that in fact the, the divorce rate was lower than the national average, and half of the people who did get divorced, but only half of them cited the death of their child as an important factor in their divorce. So in other words, they were already fighting, right? <laughs> they were, yeah. they were on the way to breaking up and then their ha- their child happened to die. So it wasn't, their marriage was already had other problems, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. <clears throat> and a quarter of the respondents said that their marriages had, had actually strengthened since the death of their child. Yeah. 
I think that Gail and I would fall in that category. I think our marriage is stronger because we really lean on each other. We're we're the only people yeah. in the world who lost Ruby and Hart as children uh, of ours, and so we share this this terrible bond. Yeah, I yeah, it makes sense, and I think it's interesting as well because it's like it's like when people are going through you know any kind of darkness. Mm. you can come back you know whether it's in a relationship or whether it's just in yourself you can come back stronger and stronger than before which is I mean incredibly interesting but it's nice Mm. when you then actually see proof um that it's actually happening yeah yeah I think I think if we engage in whatever our loss is or our struggle or challenge if we're really engaged in it it's very it's 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 very often what's called post post post-traumatic growth yeah. Um, and I've encountered that phrase. And I know early on, I didn't want any growth. I didn't want anything positive to have happened to come from this, the death of Ruby and Hart. I, 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 it repulsed me, the idea of it. Like, no, I, I like rejected it. I'm not going to be better because Ruby and Hart were, were, were murdered. No. Um, but the reality is I, I am a different person and I am stronger uh, and more compassionate than I was. It's just true because I've endured this. Yeah. 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 And then what advice do you have for somebody that um, is a parent and has unfortunately, they're at the stage where they have, you know, maybe very soon just lost their child. Mm. Um, And they're at that stage where you just said they don't want positivity. They don't want growth. They don't want any of that right now. Or they not even right now. They don't want any of that. Right. What would you say to them if they were here right now? Yeah. Well, uh, I would say, um, you know, trust in life uh, and trust in engaging in life. So so early on, I didn't want to do anything with anybody. I wanted to say no to everybody. I wanted to just curl up in a ball. And I didn't want to be alive without Ruby and Hart, to be, to be honest. I, I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't want to be alive. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I trusted somehow that that I, that was going to change. I, I kind of knew that if I tried to engage back in life, if I pushed myself, I, I would engage in life. Um, <clears throat> and so I started saying yes to everything that anybody proposed. You know, I was like, I'm alone. I don't want to be alone. If some friend says, hey, do you want to take a walk? I'm going to say yes. Uh, and it's very hard in early grief. I think it's very hard to plan for the future because you're like, I don't know what I want right now. You're, you're telling me to make plans? Like, oh, we'll go for a walk in two hours? Or tomorrow, I have no idea. So I better just say no, right? To say to protect myself, I'll say no. And I cha- I said no. I'm going to say yes to everything. And and I can always cancel last minute, but I'm going to say yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to make plans, trusting that life is going to, in the end, pull me back into life, <laughs> into yeah. wanting to live. You know, and I think that's true. Uh, um, it, it works that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it it makes a lot of sense. And I think when you do start to say yes, even if you don't want to say yes, but if you when you do start to say yes to things that your past self wouldn't have done, mm. just new, new opportunities and new, you know, feelings and, and, and new chapters just open. Um, they, they, they really do. And I know it's difficult mm. and it can be really hard, but new things do come just from saying yes. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. So where can people find your book then if they want to purchase it? Yes. Well, 
in America, it's readily available in any anywhere you buy books, um, and you can order it online from any bookstore. But in the UK, it's a little trickier. Um, okay. But I do have friends who have gotten it, and then I have people <laughs> who who message me and like, I, "How do I get it? I can't get your book." So I don't really know. Um, but uh, I mean, like like Amazon UK doesn't have it, but you, okay. as far as I know. But I think you can get Amazon US. You can get it. So. You know, I I don't know <laughs> how how people in the UK get my book, but okay. but some of them do. <laughs> okay, well maybe maybe I'll give a call to Waterstones and uh. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Tell them to uh, start putting out in their stores. So uh, yeah, awesome. So yeah. is there anything else then that you want to discuss today or mention? Um. Yeah, I I also wanted to say about. Um, leaning into the pain. That's mm-hmm. another sort of through line of my book, which is, it's similar to saying yes, it's, but it's saying yes to engaging in the loss. I think, I think it's so often people are frightened to feel the pain and they say that I'm not ready. Um, it's, it, it's too painful right now. Yeah. And, and I kind of feel like, well, it's, it's, uh, it's not too painful. It just is painful (laughs) and it's bearable. You can bear the pain uh, if you open yourself up to it. Um, The the pain of loss. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, again, that also makes sense because, because leaning into the pain, you're not, you're not running from it. You know, you're not Mm. trying to escape from it and pain is, I mean, pain is hard. It's horrible. It's it's, (laughs) it's not fun at all. It's what pain is. (laughs) But, (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's self-explanatory, but you are right. Leaning into it is one of the hardest things um, to do because no one really wants to ever lean into pain. But mm. leaning into it really, again, you're right. It's like saying yes to life. It, it just brings about new things and changes and, yeah, opportunities in a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. I really enjoy talking to you. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. I love it. Thank you, Colin, for joining me. Remember, you can pick up a copy of his book, Finding the Words. We all grieve in our own ways and ache in our own ways, yet grief is a universal human experience. Sometimes people don't want to ask us how we really are. So my only question for you this week is how are you doing now, right now, in this moment? Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.